Good morning. Have you heard the phrase, you've made your bed, now lie in it? Uh, I wonder who said it to you. It's often an unsympathetic way of somebody saying that we have to accept the unpleasant consequence of our choices. It can be a really negative phrase, but it carries the same essence as a biblical phrase. You'll reap what you sow in Galatians. To some extent, what we want and what we go after and what we ask for in life will be what we get. We as charismatic or evangelical Christians often wince slightly at the idea, but Jesus seemed quite comfortable with it. See if you can hear it in our key passage from the Sermon on the Mount today, from Matthew 6, we're starting in verse 1. Be careful, Jesus said, not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. I'm going to skip on to verse 5 for now. And when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen, and then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts and our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. When you fast, don't look sombre as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others that they're fasting. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you're fasting, but only to your father who is unseen and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. On to verse, chapter 7, verse 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who seeks receives and everyone who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you're evil, know how to give gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others as you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Jesus picks up three essential practices in Jewish devotion to God. Practices actually are neither new to Judaism or unique to Judaism. Most of the world's religions highly emphasise prayer and fasting and giving to the needy. These are practices that Jesus didn't introduce as ifs though, but whens. He said, when you pray and when you fast, 
there's an expectation that these are a normal part of following him. And if they're not a regular part of your walk with God, now is the time to begin. We're going to be focusing on prayer and fasting today. I want to say from the start that I believe in the New Testament we may be commanded to pray, but there is no such command to fast. There might be an expectation in the words of Jesus here, but fasting requires us to be much more careful and thoughtful about how it's done. Fasting food, just one way of fasting, comes with its own necessary set of expectations and guidelines. It's not the place to start and not without advice. We will send out some further tips and guidance soon. However, today I'm confident of this. In general, we would all benefit from fasting in some form. In fact, let me take it a step further. Prayer and fasting are not just essential practices to schedule into the diary. They are meant to move heaven. Jesus was warning his disciples that they could totally miss the point of prayer and fasting, which would mean missing the blessing of the Father. If you want to aim for human praise, he said, you'll get it. But that's all, like nothing more. Jesus opened the Sermon on the Mount, outlining that the hungry get filled, that the pure see God, that the meek inherit the earth, that the poor in spirit inherit the kingdom, and the persecuted have great rewards in heaven. And in our passages, Jesus says, there are good gifts to be received by those that ask and seek and knock. How many times did you hear that phrase, your father will reward you? Jesus mentioned rewards six times. He doesn't specify what they are, um, but we can be sure of this, that heaven does respond to sincere prayer and fasting. Jesus should know, right? He's seen it himself from heaven's point of view. We can get uncomfortable with the idea of rewards, and particularly around an overly simplified view of prayer. Like, I get it, anyone that knows the pain of unanswered prayer knows this too well. Like, we need wisdom and more than I can share today. However, there are two dangers that I think are more important for us to focus on today. The first is believing that there's nothing that we can do, that ultimately we are powerless. And the second is believing that there's nothing that God will do, that God is either powerless or indifferent. In Christ, neither of those are true. God might not give us everything we want or ask for, even if it seems good to us. But there is never a circumstance where we can't cry out to God in prayer and fasting. And there is never a moment when God is not the good father who loves to give gifts to his children. On one level, if we don't seek, we can't be surprised if we get what we ask for, which is nothing. At times, maybe God, uh, or maybe nothing happens, sorry, because God is powerless or indifferent, but because we are indifferent and because we won't use the power we've got to call on God. As a secondary school teacher, I had parents evening this week. And a conversation I so often have with students is helping them to see where they are making their own beds and laying in them, either because they're not doing the good they could easily do, or because they're just not asking for help. No matter how kind or good or knowledgeable I am as a teacher, I can't wipe their... What I mean is I can't do their bit for them. Jesus is saying God is like this. Look, ultimately... God is more generous towards us than we can ask for. 
And ultimately, God is more gracious than we deserve. Both creation and the cross will tell you that beyond a doubt. We didn't ask for or earn those things and much more than that. God is good despite us. Yet, the one way we can guarantee that God isn't working more powerfully in our lives is to never ask. Jesus encouraged us to ask and to seek and to knock. Jesus didn't say a great deal about prayer and fasting here. So what do we mean by these practices? In our passages, Jesus could have given us more careful definitions, ideas of how and when to do them, and excellent examples to follow, couldn't he? Like, he didn't even mention Daniel's fasting and pleading with God in Daniel 9. Fasting that roused the archangel Gabriel to appear and respond. Jesus could have said more. But one thing's clear to me. Jesus wasn't being prescriptive about exactly how to pray and to fast. Instead, he was giving principles of wisdom that exposed the heart and gave us creative freedom to express prayer and fasting in a whole variety of ways. Sadly, too many people through the church over the millennia have made their expressions of Jesus' wisdom, their choices and their styles and their preferences, the only or the superior way. And in the process, they've made a bit of a monster out of practices that were meant to be powerful and precious. Be careful, Jesus said. So let's just define prayer briefly. In its broadest sense, it's conversation with God. But people who've prayed lots like Brother Lawrence saw prayer as this place of a constant awakeness, of an awareness of God, of a continual communion and connection with God in everything. This could involve words or none in silence and solitude, but often it's more about a hungry and open heart to God. But more specifically, prayer involves words directed to God in many forms. We are told to pray in the spirit on all occasions and with all kinds of prayer and request, as Paul says in Ephesians 6, 18. We can pray scripture, we can prayer walk, we could prayer run, we could pray for inner healing we can pray in groups there are liturgical structured prayers it doesn't matter prayer is about humans directly seeking looking for calling on inviting and even demanding god to get involved with a view to us experiences experiencing his presence his protection and his provision in some way or in its fullness ultimately as c.s lewis said God cannot give us a happiness and a peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. The rewards of heaven will ultimately be an outpouring of his presence. And so to fasting, a practice most people probably avoid. It's not a topic you often hear discussed at the school gates or uh, over dinner or let's be honest in church gatherings very often. I've often struggled with the idea of fasting. Like, isn't it just self-harm or pointless self-denial? Or if it isn't, like, isn't it just making life difficult for everybody else who has to bear the brunt of my grumpiness whilst I'm fasting? I remember stopping a fast early once because I felt I wasn't loving people better, but worse. I mean, talk about totally missing the point. I think perhaps one of the biggest problems we have with fasting is one of emphasis. The word fasting itself focuses on the negative aspect of the act. 
The Greek word Jesus uses in the Sermon on the Mount is nesteo, meaning to go without food. Fasting can easily be seen merely as a self-denial, as some kind of harsh self-treatment. And sadly, a number of people throughout history have modelled or praised this unhealthy or ungodly portrayal. The word fasting describes the mechanics well, like I'm stopping having X or Y, but it doesn't portray the meaning particularly well. A better way of seeing fasting is not as much about what's being given up as much as what is being focused on in its place. It's not so much about subtracting something from your life, but what you're adding into your life. Mere self-denial is not fasting. It's just self-denial and taking it too far is self-harm. Fasting then is better seen as briefly putting to one side something that is good, like food, for something that is greater. I remember my granddad once coming into the kitchen of our family home. I was standing there looking at my phone and he said to me quite curtly, put that down, son. I initially resisted, like, what is this? But he carried on and repeated the same words. I mean, he he seemed pretty serious, so I thought, all right, you know, I'll go with it. As I put down my phone and looked towards him, he pulled out his arms and he welled up and he moved forwards for a hug. And he said to me that all he wanted was my attention so that he was able to show me his affection. You see, fasting is momentarily putting to one side a comfort, a distraction, an appetite, or even something we need in order to seek God and his work in our lives, to give him our attention, our affection, and ultimately our allegiance. Fasting basically says to God for a brief moment, I want you and I need you more than anything. Nothing is more important to me. Which thing is it for you that most blocks or hinders your worship or that you wanna say that God is better than? Fasting is an expression of worship. It doesn't mean we don't think and feel that way at other times. It just means for this specific moment, we're expressing how serious we are. We're clearing the decks. We're making a sacred space that only he can or only he should fill. That is why it's almost always coupled with prayer. Because the person fasting is often calling on God for what Adele Arlberg Calhoun calls matters of deep concern for for others, for myself and for the world. They're moments of compassion when we feel the pain and we seek a solution. Old Testament fasting was only commanded on one day of the year, the Day of Atonement. But the other fasts you'll read about weren't quiet or contemplative. They were dramatic. They were serious appeals to God for him to act. They were signs of mourning and of repentance and of desperate pleas like in Daniel 9 or Joel 2 or Esther 4 when the Jewish people are at risk of being wiped out. Esther didn't just give up food and drink and give up on life because of the impending doom for her people. No, she fasted and she cried out. She acted for God to act and he did. He rewarded their prayers. So perhaps it's best to see kind of two ends of a spectrum with fasting. At one end, we can see it as giving up something for a short period of time 
that all too easily dominates our attention and our affections like food and shopping and wine and Netflix or reading, devices or anything else that's good and instead taking time to remove that or even just reduce that and in its place putting something God-focused like prayer or giving away the money that you save to the poor. Or at the other end of the spectrum, fasting is seen as a way to express a deep hunger, a mourning, a repentance, a crying out for God to break in. Both of these extremes are about putting God first, wanting him above everything else and asking him to do what only he can do. A couple of years back, I was having a real crisis about who I was, about what I was called to. So much of what was going on around me seemed so opposite to what I felt. I met with Pete, but Pete gave me a spiritual yet loving clip round the ear and he challenged me and he said to me, are you putting yourself in the way of God? It hit home because I wasn't, not really. So that night I went home and I set about two weeks of prayer with some fasting interspersed and lo and behold, within just a couple of days, a breakthrough came. An uninitiated phone call precisely linked to what I felt called to. When we pray, we position ourselves somewhere between the brilliant manifestations of God acting in beauty and love and power and the baffling mysteries of when God doesn't act or even respond according to his wisdom and his will. Neither practice is a silver bullet that guarantees we make God do what we want. Even God's beloved King David in Samuel 2.12 fasted for his child with Bathsheba not to die, but to no effect. But as Jesus, the Lord, made clear in the Sermon on the Mount, God loves to reward and to respond to the sincere praying and fasting of his children. God may be the king of the universe, having the power over all things and the knowledge of all things, and yet there are times when he is waiting to be asked. Church, I believe it's time to pray and fast afresh. Prayer and fasting are these essential practices based on principles of wisdom that aren't prescriptive but can be expressed in all kinds of creative ways. Practices that are not merely meant to fill the diary, but clear our hearts to put God first and to move heaven to act. Let's pray and fast wholeheartedly with hearts of compassion, with hearts of faith, believing in the power of God that resurrects the dead and with a humble submission to the glorious and the life-giving will of God. Maybe Lent this year is an ideal opportunity for you, your pattern groups, or your friends to find a way to fast and pray. A spring clean, if you will. It starts on Wednesday the 17th of February. From the smallest acts of a meal, an evening, a weekend, to the full 40 days, what is it that you could put aside in order to seek and worship God first? And what is it that you are sowing in prayer that you wanna, you wanna see reaped in life for others? for yourself and for the world. Take some time to consider those questions and put some things to prayer because God is calling us to be a praying people because he is a giving 
God and he wants to answer our prayers.